The following recording is a production of Kicking Out at Two in conjunction with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and is intended for private use only. For more information, head on over to facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or our Twitter handle at kicking out two, along with searching Retromania with a W on any and all podcast platforms available to listen to archive shows such as this and all the great content of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Evergreen content at your fingertips anytime at your listening pleasure. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Well, let me tell you something, brothers. This is Diary of a Hulkamaniac here on Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and uh, it's the birthplace, the birthday, I should say, of Hulkamania here in wrestling, in nostalgic wrestling, in the wrestling world, if you will. Many consider him to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I'd like to put him in that category as well as one of the GOATs, maybe if not the GOAT, the one that really transcended and brought wrestling to heights that nobody had ever seen. But uh, that's another discussion for another day. I thought it would be fitting that we share, or at least I share, I should say, my thoughts on me growing up a Hulkamaniac, what Hulk Hogan meant to me as a wrestling fan, and integral moments in my wrestling fandom that involved Hulk Hogan as well as wrestling history share the good, the bad, and the ugly because I'll get into all of it. This isn't going to be a a, a Hulk Hogan uh, uh, rim job, if you will, <laughs> for those of you out there listening, even though I'm a diehard Hulkamaniac. But um, I thought it would just be fun to kind of reminisce and share on the 40th anniversary of Hulkamania. January 23rd, 1984, Hulk Hogan defeating the Iron Sheik in Madison Square Garden for the WWF Championship, and the launch of Hulkamania was born. Now, some may argue that Hulkamania, the precursor to Hulkamania, took place in the AWA not long before that when Hogan was on his run in the AWA. And yes, you could consider that uh, a thing, if you will. But, uh, you know, I, on the other hand, um, I didn't grow up during that period. Hell, I didn't. I wasn't watching wrestling when Hogan beat the Sheik and won the title. So I'm going to share my first introduction to Hulk Hogan and just take it off from there. So, uh, But before we do all that, I thought it'd be fun to, and a little bit interesting, I feel the need to address this. What's been taking place in the wrestling world in the last, oh, I don't know, few days, few weeks? We had an announcement that Seth Rollins was potentially going to be off the WrestleMania card due to an injury. He came out on Monday Night Raw just the other night and said that he will be a part of WrestleMania regardless of the injury. So um, that's some good news, I guess. But I would imagine that that's all pending if he can get cleared. And the severity of his injury apparently he has a grade 2 MCL tear as well as a tear in his meniscus. So... We'll see how that pans out. The rumors is that he was scheduled to face CM Punk uh, with the World Heavyweight Championship involved, whether Punk won the Rumble or not. That's a whole different story. But um, So that's good news that potentially Rollins could be involved in WrestleMania. He's he's earned it. He's had a great year. Um, he's helped bring some credibility to that new World Championship that was introduced in the springtime. So I like the idea of... You know, Seth Rollins being in the main event picture and having him close out potentially night one of WrestleMania against a CM Punk. So we'll see how that all pans out. Um, what else took place? Oh, yeah. The Rock was named on the he was he was appointed a, a seat on the board for TKO, uh, the 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 parent company behind the UFC Endeavor and uh, WWE. Or I shouldn't say the parent company. That's the the board, I believe. And I'm not so educated on this but they are that's the stock that's the name of the stock that that 
represents both UFC and WWE. Endeavor is the one that that owns 51% of WWE and has controlling uh, interest of it, if you will. Uh, but the rocks on that board, along with Nick Khan and Vince McMahon and 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 other dignitaries in the sports and entertainment world, and that's a big deal. Rock's got his hands in a lot of different things in the entertainment world with his Seven Bucks production. He's got a clothing line for Under Armour. He's got uh, the the energy drink Zoa. So he is all over the place. Movies, commercials, TV, um, you name it. He's everywhere. He's arguably the most popular person on this planet. And to think he came from the wrestling world for a wrestling fan, we, we wouldn't expect it. He was a big deal to us before he became a big deal to all of you that, 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 that don't know him as the rock, the wrestler. But um, that's big news. That's to me. Oh, yeah, XFL too. X, owner of XFL. He merged with the, U, uh, the USFL. Now they are the UFL. So that's another thing I forgot to add to his resume as well. Sorry for those of you out there that are keeping score. But, um, yeah, I thought uh, I thought it was interesting that the timing of this announcement took place uh, just a few weeks ago. Rock was on TV and WWE TV made a surprise appearance on Raw and announced that he might take a seat at the head of the table, implying that there was going to be a potential matchup with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And I think with this announcement, with him involved with WWE, he's got a seat on the board. I don't think he's going to be there day-to-day and doing any kind of um, day-to-day work because he's got so much on his schedule. But I do think that The Rock will be um, he'll be involved in some form or fashion, for sure. They just wouldn't give him a seat on the board for nothing. And apparently... Um, as a part of his deal on the board, uh, he could receive upwards to $30 million in stock rewards for the um, for his uh, participation in uh, brand. Let me take a look at my notes here real quick because I, I want to make sure that I'm correct here with these notes. $30 million stock awards to promote the brand okay so uh, that's that's part of his stipulation for joining the board so he'll get a 30 million dollar bonus if you will not that he fucking needs it <laughs> to, to to promote the tko brand so expect to see rock involved in a lot of ufc and wwe events whether rock's a part of wrestlemania that's a whole nother discussion for another day i've kind of talked about it i've doubled down a little bit on maybe him being involved in elimination chamber but i'm still not quite sure yet I tend to think that he's going to be a part of WrestleMania in some form or fashion. Um, and speaking of WrestleMania, uh, the 40th one is coming up, but the 40th anniversary of Hulkamania along the same year, Hulk Hogan more recently was on Monday Night Raw previewing the Royal Rumble and kind of teased that Hulk Hogan was going to be involved in the Royal Rumble. He said, maybe I got one more left in me, brother. Please. Whatever you do, don't. Don't do it. Please don't do it. If you're listening to a Hulkamaniac that, that, that knows who he's talking about, please don't do it. Not that I know what I'm talking about when it comes to getting in the ring, but just for the benefit of your health and safety, take it from me. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. Hulk Hogan has accomplished it all. Doesn't need that one last grab in the spotlight. Please don't be Ric Flair and do Ric Flair's last match in Memphis, Tennessee, or Ric Flair's last match in Norfolk, Virginia, because I'm sure that that's coming up too. It hasn't been announced yet, but please don't do it, okay? You want to come out. You want to be the master of ceremonies. Maybe you want to sit on commentary during one of the Rumble matches. You want to be the host of, the, of WrestleMania. Um, you know, hell, you want to – fuck, anything but get in the ring. 
Don't be a special referee. Maybe you'll be in somebody's corner. Maybe they do an angle where Hogan is going to get attacked by, you know, the heels and some baby face saves him, and Hogan makes a little bit of a comeback, and then he tears his shirt, and everybody must pose, including Hogan. That's fine. But don't, whatever you do, please don't get in the ring, okay? But I have a sinking feeling that there's a chance we'll see some sort of Hulk Hogan physical activity during this WrestleMania season. Maybe it starts at the Royal Rumble this weekend. I don't know. But uh, here, excuse me for a second. Let me just take a quick sig of my prime blue raspberry, by the way. Not promoting it. Don't have a sponsorship deal with them. You're welcome, Logan Paul. Anyhow. um, And then the big announcement that Raw is going to Netflix. Raw is going to leave cable television and go to exclusive direct-to-consumer streaming exclusively. Starting in January of 2025, a huge game changer. Something I've wanted to see for a while. We, t- Justin and I, on this on this podcast, have talked about maybe Amazon being that avenue for 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 WWE. Um, but WWE seems to have it locked between cable and over-the-air network television, and now streaming. They got Raw on Netflix, SmackDown on USA, and NXT on the CW. Um, they still got to deal with Peacock right now. Part of the Netflix deal, uh, international Netflix subscribers have access to Raw live every week as well as the um, the the PLE, so Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, all that stuff. Um, it'll, Peacock will still have that as well uh, stateside here in the United States. But, um, yeah, the reach that Netflix has is unbelievable. There's 77 million Netflix subscribers in the United States. There's 247 million worldwide. So imagine the reach that, that Raw and WWE is going to have on that platform. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, not all the details have come out at the time of this recording. I know that uh, for for subscribers with, with you know that have an ad-free tier to their su- subscription, there will not be any commercials during Raw. We don't know if it's going to be two hours. We don't know if it's going to be three hours. I hope to God they go back to two hours because I think three hours is a little much. Um, but we'll see what happens there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been a busy couple of days in the wrestling world. Uh, you know, Royal Rumble coming up. I kind of talked about it on the last couple episodes, gave some of my picks based on the Cody Rhodes CM Punk promo that we saw the other night on Raw, um, it looks like the men's rumble is a toss-up between the two of them. And you take into account what I mentioned earlier with the Rollins situation. Or you take into account The Rock's possible inclusion. He was on ESPN first take. They speculated a match with him and Roman Reigns. I could see it taking place this year. And Cody taking a back seat. Maybe Cody's involved in a mania match with, with Punk if Rollins is hurt. Or if Rollins can go and it's Punk and and Rollins for the title, maybe Cody's involved WrestleMania with Rock and Roman in a triple threat. That's been discussed as well. A lot of but the 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 big money is is Rock and Roman in the singles, and Cody might have to take a backseat to that. I don't want that. I want him to finish the story. I'd like for him to be the one to beat Reigns. I don't think Reigns needs Hogan's title record. That's what a lot of people seem to think Reigns is aiming at or that WWE is aiming for Reigns to, to get it. He just passed one of Bruno's records. So he's like third, I think, um, for, for all-time title records, title uh, number of days as champion. So we'll see how that uh, 
how that pans out, but um, it's an interesting time to be a wrestling fan, WrestleMania-wise, coming up, especially WWE, everything that they're doing. And not to knock AEW, but they don't seem to be sitting at the top of the mountain uh, right now. And hopefully with the announcement that Raw goes to Netflix, that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery signs them to an extension of their current deal, maybe gives them a rights fee increase. Uh, some 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 folks have even speculated we might see uh, it be a hybrid deal where their programming is on both cable and streaming. So maybe we'll see Dynamite stay on TBS on cable, but you might see Rampage and Collision go to, go to HBO Max or Max, they call it. Uh, maybe we'll see their pay-per-views go to Max. I don't know. Um, time will tell, but it's good to be a wrestling fan overall. I hope that AEW can thrive. They can improve. Um, I know that they got hit with the injury bug. Um, there was some controversial stuff that took place involving a CM Punk and those guys in the elite. And I talked about all that bullshit in the archives, and we can get into that in another day. But this is a nostalgic wrestling podcast, and I, you know, I didn't want to overload this episode with just talking about current stuff, but I felt the need to address it and address everything that's been going on in the last few days in the wrestling world. So um, we'll see how all this pans out in the coming year, but it's exciting. Um, and I'm also excited to discuss with you my diary as a Hulkamaniac because I'm 41 years old. I've been a wrestling fan since I was three years old, so we're going on 38 years now. And my first introduction to wrestling was Hulk Hogan. And it wasn't from watching him on television like a lot of folks out there have um, have shared over the years regarding their fandom. It's pretty much been... It, it, really, how this all started was the LJN doll, the the rubber LJN Hulk Hogan action figure, the doll, whatever they want to call it. Um, I was three years old to the best of my recollection, and my first visual of Hulk Hogan was that doll that I had received from a family member for my birthday. And then it just kind of took off from there with the cartoon, the rock and wrestling cartoon, um, and seeing, you know, the weekend shows with Hogan's involvement to the to the best of my recollection, my earliest memory of watching Hulk Hogan on TV was probably WrestleMania two, um, and watching the match with King Kong Bundy inside the big blue steel cage. I remember going to WrestleMania a number of years ago, and they had a piece of that cage. Uh, up for display at the fan access and I grabbed the bars of the cage and I was like I just you know I marked out like a fucking idiot and was like I just touched the big blue I can't, I can't believe I just touched the big blue Hogan and Bundy wrestled in this cage at WrestleMania 2 like I went all stupid you know touching the big blue but um well really let me just go back here and what really talk about what really attracted me to Hulk Hogan as a fan I think it was his larger than life look um the 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 blonde hair with the handlebar mustache, but more or less the colors of what he wore. I'm always big on colors and what guys wear in wrestling. And if they pop, if the colors pop, I'm like, that's one of the, the big attractions for me. So like, I'm a big Randy Savage fan, Shawn Michaels, their wrestling attire. They always had like colorful, um, you know, unique uh, wrestling gear. And so Hogan with the red and the yellow popped, and I always loved when he tore the shirt off. And his voice, too, was another thing. What you gonna do, brother? Like, 
that was like a big thing is uh, that attracted me to him as a fan and he was larger than life he was a superhero he was above batman and superman kids my age thought about batman they thought about superman those were your heroes you know policemen firemen hulk hogan was mine at the top of my list 100 percent and it was there was no questioning that whatsoever um his personality with his voice and the training, the saying the prayers, the eating the vitamins, like it was a it was a good, you know, as a kid, it was it was something to look up to. As an adult, as I look back on it now, it's a good wholesome message for kids. Um, back then in the eighties as well. And so those were some of the reasons that that made me a fan of Hulk Hogan that really attracted me to him. Um what he what he's meant to me then and what he means to me now uh what he meant to me then was was like i said he was my hero um he could do no wrong even at times where i've watched in recent years things that the hulk hogan character may have done wrong he could do no wrong for me he was the end all be all um if wrestling didn't have a hulk hogan i probably wouldn't have been a wrestling fan that's just that, that that's just me and so he's a big part of my childhood growing up watching wrestling and the things that are good about wrestling as a whole growing up um and what he means to me now it's nice to go back and look back on the memories that he created that he helped create for me as a fan so when i think of hulk hogan now um i get nostalgic and i'm like man i remember you know i'll say to myself man i remember when i went my dad to the movie theater to watch wrestlemania 3 when hogan slammed andre the giant um, so now he's more or less like a nostalgic reminder of what my childhood was like. Um, and I'll get into some of that other stuff later. Um, now when you talk Hulk Hogan, you can't help but talk about WrestleMania one and the main event with Mr. T and his involvement, um, and their involvement in that match and what it meant to the vision of the WWF and WrestleMania. Now, I wasn't a, I wasn't watching wrestling. I was two years old when that took place, so I wasn't watching wrestling uh, when that took place, but I had seen clips and highlights, and I went to the video store as I was older and got to watch WrestleMania 1, and even as a kid, watching that main event um, on video... Uh, you felt like you were watching a big deal because it was a big happening, and and they've done retrospectives over the years on on their the network and Peacock, and you can watch like how the build up to WrestleMania one uh, came to be. But going back and watching some of that stuff now, um, you could just see how important that match was for wrestling and what it did, and the the show itself, WrestleMania as a whole. And Hulk Hogan's importance to that show did for um, the the industry because if it flopped, we wouldn't be having this conversation. WWF wouldn't be a thing. That's just my opinion. Um, wrestling probably would have been territorial for longer than or longer than it was, I should say. Now, there's always been the age-old discussion. In hindsight, of course, uh, what drew WrestleMania one. Was it Hulk Hogan or was it Roddy Piper? Roddy Piper had once said this on his DVD, uh, Born to Controversy, I believe it was called. I think it's on the, the, the network now. Uh, 
Did they pay to see Hulk Hogan or did they pay to see Rowdy Piper? No, they paid for Hulk Hogan to beat the shit. See, they paid to see Hulk Hogan beat the shit out of Rowdy Piper. Now, I think, and I've been a firm believer of this for a very long time when it comes to that match and what drew that match. Of course, everybody wanted to see Piper get his comeuppance, but was it because they wanted to see Hogan do it or because they wanted to see Mr. T do it? I think Mr. T doesn't get enough credit for his involvement in, in that buildup for that match, because I think the the real mystery was okay. He was this television tough guy that was on the A team, and he was this big you know figure in pop culture at the time. Can he you know what's he gonna what's he gonna do in this wrestling match against Rowdy Rowdy Piper? And at that time, the business was so protected that you know youth it was. I mean, people the naysayers would tell you it was fake, but then once wrestling became popular and became the cool thing to watch and the cool thing to talk about, then it was accepted more and it was protected by the business and by the industry itself to the outsiders. And therefore you wondered, well, is this real? Is this, is this a storyline or is this, you know, is this entertainment or is this like a, 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 a true sports exhibition and that's when Vince McMahon of course years later would phrase you know coin the phrase sports entertainment but um, I think the real mystery of the buildup was what's Mr. T going to do to Roddy Piper is he going to get his hands on him now if you go back and you watch that match Mr. T got his licks in a little bit but for the most part that match was all about Piper and Hogan um, and I think it was done that way so that Mr. T's inexperience from a physical and ring standpoint didn't expose the industry because if it exposed the industry, then a lot of folks out there in the wrestling, uh, in the wrestling circles have said that WrestleMania one wouldn't have survived and it wouldn't be a success and it would have flopped. Um, but of course Hogan had a big part in that Piper had a big part in that, making that happen. Um, but Mr. T I think deserves a lot more credit than he gets for his involvement and for what he was able to bring to wrestling and that match itself. Um, which you can go check out in the archives uh, over at the, the, the WWE Network or Peacock or wherever the fuck they have it, or YouTube, Google it, I don't care. Um, but it's definitely, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, it was definitely a happening. Every year when I do WrestleMania marathons, it's the first match I'll watch because it's the first main event. I try to go chronologically from WrestleMania's one all the way to the most recent one. And I don't watch any of the rest of that show because the rest of that show now, quality purposes, it's not that good. But back then it was it was the end all be all. Uh, but that match still stands the test of time because of the importance of that match and what it did for wrestling itself. Uh, it really, really, really got people to take notice of wrestling in a, in, in the pop culture world. Um, let's move on here. I want to talk about um, the Hogan Bundy Cage match from WrestleMania two and what that impact had on me as a fan. To the best of my recollection, that was like I said earlier, that was the first. WrestleMania and the first wrestling match I saw with Hulk Hogan. I could have seen other ones earlier, but to the best of my recollection, it's the first one that I can remember seeing. Now, I don't remember if it was taped from the video store or if it was a pay-per-view, but I remember at my grandparents' house watching WrestleMania 2, Hulk Hogan, King Kong Bundy. That was my first introduction to the Big Blue Steel Cage. So I have a fondness for the Big Blue Steel Cage because of my 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 first introduction to it in that Hogan Bundy um, WrestleMania two match, uh, so much so that when I was a kid, I had the big ring 
with the the blue cage, the LJN figures, and I used to recreate Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy in that cage. Uh, my first um, exposure to blood in wrestling was from that match when Hogan busted open Bundy against the big blue bars of the steel cage and kept giving him those right hands to the forehead and busting him open even more. Um, to me... It's one of my favorite cage matches all time. I think it's a good cage match because it was the blueprint at that time of what certain types of steel cage matches should be. And the story with Hogan having his ribs injured from this monster King Kong Bundy. Now he's trapped inside of a steel cage with him. He's got to defend the title. Um, is he going to be able to pin him or is he going to have to escape the cage? I thought that was a good hook and a good story. A lot of people aren't big on the escape the cage theories or concepts in cage matches. If it, dep it depends on a certain story, and I think it worked in that story. Hogan slayed the beast, and he had to exit the cage to do so. Um, I thought it was, it, it showed, looking back on it now, it showed vulnerability in Hulk Hogan's character that I think um, you didn't see a whole lot of because he was this superhero. He was this this giant slayer, if you will. Um and I think that vulnerability would continue moving on to WrestleMania 3. Now, this is where I might take a little bit of a deep dive when I talk about my fandom for Hulk Hogan because I remember being at home watching that episode of Wrestling Challenge when Andre the Giant tore Hulk Hogan's shirt off, ripped his, his, his chain across his chest, and challenged him to a match at WrestleMania 3. Bobby Heenan was there. Jesse Ventura was there. was on Piper's Pit. Um... It was such a big deal to me. I remember just sitting there in the living room in awe, and I was like, oh, my God, like Hulk Hogan, like how can how can Andre do this to him? How can Andre turn his back on him like this and align with Bobby the Brain Heenan, the weasel? And when Hogan accepted the challenge and the place went nuts, I, I do remember like jumping up and down in the living room. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I don't remember how it led to my father and I going to see WrestleMania 3. And for those of you youngsters out there listening to this, we didn't order it on pay-per-view. And we didn't get a ticket to go see it at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan either. My father and I went to what they called at the time closed-circuit movie theaters. You had to pay a ticket to see this in a movie theater uh, because not every cable company had the capabilities of pay-per-view at the time. I believe it was, it was early infancy of pay-per-view. And not everyone had it, so they were still offering it in closed circuit. And I remember my father and I went to go get the tickets. He drove me to this place, which years later I ended up finding out it used to be an old um, uh, uh, porno theater, movie theater, you know, where guys go fucking relieve themselves in the movie theater watching an adult film. Um, so uh, that's that that's comforting to know that my father took me to that place. I mean, it wasn't a, th a porno theater then, but I guess it used to be. And then they just converted it to a normal, um, non-sexual movie theater. <laughs> but um, I remember going to get the tickets with my father. And um, the tickets came in like they, they, if I remember correctly, the tickets looked like a business card, like a, like a standard business card. And I think I asked my father this when we, when my father actually participated in this podcast a couple of years ago when we watched Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage, which is, my father talks about that match to this day, um, which goes to show the testament of, of that match as well and uh, you know what kind of an effect it had on someone who's not a wrestling fan. But 
My father mentioned to me that the, the that the tickets were like a standardized business card, and I think they were like four bucks a piece. So back in 1987, I was four years old. the 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 tickets to go see this WrestleMania in the movie theater was only eight dollars. Just think about that for a minute. Eight dollars now to my father back then. You know, 1987, $8 in 1987 was probably a little pricey. Um, I can only imagine what tickets were like to go actually see the show. Uh, front row at WrestleMania 3, maybe 50 to 100 bucks, give or take. I could be mistaken, but um, I remember the guy was sitting at a desk that gave, that, that gave my father the tickets. It was like in this little office with this like... Uh, um, like a particle board behind it and um and uh no i'm sorry wood paneling it was like wood paneling in this office and um the guy was sitting behind the desk and he handed me the two tickets and then my father took them from me and um you know i think the guy asked me if i was excited to you know what what was i looking forward to and i'm probably i'm sure i said hogan you know body slamming Andre the Giant, but I remember doing a pile driver <laughs> in the middle of this office uh, being so excited, and I don't know what it was, but the guy looked like um, Steve Kern that sold me the ticket. Steve Kern was a, uh, he wrestled as Skinner in the WWF. Before that, he was part of the Fabulous Ones with um, Steve, uh, Stan Lane in the AWA. Um, so yeah, that's like the 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 very vivid memories I have of that. But I've said this before, and I, it bears repeating. Um, the Hogan-Andre WrestleMania three in the movie theater, you know, I'm four years old, and, and, you know, watching this event in a movie theater with all these different wrestling fans, it was, to the best of my recollection, it was the first time where I felt like I was watching something on TV and I was there in the arena, or I was there in the dome. Um, you know, the show, if you go back and watch it, the screen on the roof of the dome, um, it was, you could see it goes from daylight to darkness over the course of the, the, the three hours. And so it felt like, like I said, I was in that stadium. So as the show went on and it got darker and darker, it felt like the movie theater got darker. Um, and then the, the match came with Hogan and Andre and I remember because I was, you know, I'm four years old. I was a small kid. My father, you know, either had me on his lap or he let me stand on the chair because everybody was standing up. Like, you would think that we were in the arena, but I do remember a lot of people, like pretty much everyone standing up watching this match or the moments when, you know, big moments took place. And, of course, the slam, um, I was amazed, absolutely amazed. Now, of course, years later, you know, come to be with the internet and and uh, all the Hogan haters out there to remind us that Hogan wasn't the first guy to slam Andre and Hogan wasn't the first guy to defeat Andre because they they tried to bill Andre as being, you know, undefeated throughout his you know wrestling career. Stan Hansen I guess slammed Andre, Harley Race might have slammed him in Japan at one point. Um, I think even Hogan slammed him in Japan at one point or Hogan slammed him in at Shea Stadium. All that stuff didn't matter to me because I didn't see it. So it doesn't take away the moment when I watch it and look how impressive it was. And to kind of bring things full circle for that for just a minute, the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO that came out a few years ago, 
there's a there's a scene in that documentary where they they talk to Hogan about the the day of WrestleMania and how nervous he was and how he had like every sequence of the match written on a yellow legal pad and he tries to talk to Andre about the match and Andre just refuses to talk to him and Hogan's concerned that that Andre's not going to want to do business and Vince and everybody else is telling Hogan you're going to be fine everything's going to be fine and you know it was a big moment because Andre pretty much knew that like this was the end of his career with his back injury being so significant you know he would still wrestle for a few more years but for the most part he wasn't going to be a featured attraction um and so he's passing the torch to Hogan and Hogan like I said he's detailing the day he's nervous he's scared he's he he wants to be reassured that things are going to be all right with him and Andre and they get out to the match and you know everything kind of goes as planned and according to Hogan and of course there are those people out there that could say he's full of shit with this this next statement but Hogan says that it was in the middle of that match that Andre was the one that kind of made the call and told him yeah this is this is it you're going to slam me and it's over and you're going to win and so Hogan was shocked because he didn't know that ahead of time now I could see why folks out there would discredit that, but I also think, too, that I don't think Andre was that type of a businessman that he would pretty much be the one to make the decision in the middle of the match. So going back to the, the moment where Hogan, you know, Andre tells him, you know, slam me. And Hogan lifts him up and he slams him. And I just remember, like, the way that that, that sequence in the documentary was produced and the music behind it, the, the, the dramatic music. I don't know what it was, and I've talked about this before, but it just came over me and I just started crying. And I don't know if it was my old age or <laughs> I really, I'm only 41, but I, I, I don't know what it was, but it just came over me. And I just remember thinking back to like when I watched that show with my father, um, my father and I don't have the, the best relationship. We don't have the worst either. But um, that's a fond memory I have with my father was being in the movie theater to witness Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and WrestleMania three as a whole. Uh, if you go in the archives, my father and I did a podcast uh, a couple of years ago where we watched Savage and Steamboat from WrestleMania three. You can find that in the archives over uh, at Retromania by searching Retromania with a W. Not a cheap plug, by the way, but... Um, it's one of the better podcasts I've done, one of the better episodes that, that I've produced uh, because of the, the, the real emotion um, and the stories behind um, the, the, our trip to the movie theater to watch WrestleMania 3. So when I think of WrestleMania, and that's another thing too, WrestleMania 3, you know, I'll do a WrestleMania marathon and I try to get them all in, but if I don't, I, I usually handpick my favorite ones that I'll watch heading into WrestleMania, you know, every year. And WrestleMania 3 usually makes that list um because of the fact that I got to go to the movie theater with my dad to watch this. Um now um later on that year to the best of my recollection um was the very first wrestling event I ever attended at the Hartford Civic Center. Um with my dad, my uncle Chris, his brother, and my grandfather Ephraim, and we saw Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in the main event. We sat on the floor, and 
I don't remember a whole lot. I remember Sam Houston came out on a horse to wrestle Frenchie Martin. And I think I remember Hercules wrestling Billy Jack Haynes. But um, when it came time for Hulk Hogan, I don't remember a whole lot other than I had to sit on my father's shoulders so I could see Hulk come out. And I remember the spot where Hogan's chasing Savage around the ringside area and Savage turns the corner and Elizabeth is right there and he pulls Elizabeth in front of him so that Hulk, you know, he shields himself with Elizabeth in front of Hulk and Hulk would never hit Elizabeth. And that's about the, 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 the most I remember from, from that experience. Um, obviously being there live, my first one was such a big deal that uh, you know, I was hooked. I had to go back. I, I couldn't not see Hulk Hogan or wrestling in general again um, in person. I had to go back to every show that came to Hartford. And my grandfather would take me for a number of years. Um, used to always get the same seats, dead center, so we weren't sitting on the floor. Um, at the time, as a kid, he said he knew a guy in the ticket department. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I'll let him believe that. <laughs> and you know, I used to see. Um, Hogan wrestle uh, Earthquake, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. I'll tell stories about that later. But um, that first one was memorable because of the fact that it was Hogan and Hogan and Savage were the main event. And going back and reading the results of those shows, that that card was not stacked at all. Um, that was when the WWF used to run, you know, multiple cards in the same day, and. Um, Hogan and Savage were the main event on a very lackluster undercard. Um, if I remember correctly, I think the Rougeos were on that card against the Dream Team. Like I said, Frenchie Martin um, and Sam Houston, Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules. Uh, maybe a Hillbilly Jim on there. But you didn't see like Heart Foundation, British Bulldogs, um, Ricky Steamboat, Honky Tonk. You didn't see any of those. Jake the Snake, you didn't see him on there. Andre wasn't on that card. Um, so it's funny that... Uh, you know, all I remember on that show is Sam Houston riding on a horse, Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes, and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. So shows how memorable that card was. Um, but that was my first time seeing Hulk Hogan in person. And, of course, I was mesmerized. I was impressed. I couldn't believe it. Um, another fond Hulk Hogan memory that took place actually before WrestleMania three and before this match took place in Hartford, in my hometown, on Saturday night's main event when Hulk Hogan wrestled Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff inside of a steel cage, and they had the double finish. Now, this I must share with everybody. Um, as a kid, I remember being amazed at the the photo finish and that both guys' feet touched at the same time. And I thought I was witnessing something big and something special. And... The, the match lived up to their rivalry. Um, it was a big rivalry that was coming to a head, and it's actually funny now that I look back on it, I was kind of surprised that... I'm, I was kind of surprised that Hogan and Orndorff didn't have a major pay-per-view match, maybe even at a WrestleMania, considering how much they worked with each other um, in, the, in the spring of 86 all the way up until early 87. And if you go back and you, you you look at the timeline of events, Hogan and Andre was only built up for maybe a month and a half, two months tops. So after Hogan beat Orndorff at, at Saturday night's main event, WrestleMania three, he was off with Andre. 
And it wasn't like some big, drawn-out, built-up match whatsoever. It was two months of work that they just kind of lumped together to to fill the dome, and they did. Um, but years later, I was dating a girl at the time, and uh, I went to go to dinner at her house to meet her parents, and her father... And I were talking, and he says, oh, so my daughter tells me you, you you watch wrestling. You went to WrestleMania. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, I used to go to the shows all the time, too. And he goes, he goes, I remember going to the Hartford Civic Center and saw Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful in the cage. He goes, and Mr. Wonderful's feet touched first. And I was like, no way. And I, I remember after having that conversation with him and having dinner at their house, um, I remember going on the internet and reading the results, and the match was taped, and it was didn't air live, so um, it made sense that they videotaped and doctored the footage where both guys' feet touched at the same time. So um, it kind of took away a little bit of the magic when I was a kid, but it was also kind of cool to to hear that from someone's bird's eye view that was at that show um, live and in person that Orndorff's feet actually did touch first. And I'm, now it makes me wonder, was that the planned finish? Was it planned for them to touch simultaneously, or did they intend to do it, and was there some sort of screw-up? And so they had to kind of doctor the video footage, and luckily it was a taped show. So um, makes you wonder. I'm sure that there was some, uh, th- there was some meaning behind it. Um, I want to shift to Hogan and Andre but the rematch from Saturday night's main event when Andre beat Hogan and then handed the title over to the Million Dollar Man. Uh, Dennis and I did a watch-along last year of that match. You can find that in the archives. That was a lot of fun. Dennis and I participated in that, um, and we talked about it a little bit at length regarding that story. Um, the match isn't great, but the story itself, I think with DiBiase trying to buy the bell and buying Andre the Giant's contract from Bobby the Brain Heenan and wanting the belt for himself set up a really neat um, uh, scenario for WrestleMania four. As a kid, I was I was heartbroken. I was upset. I was angry that Andre and DiBiase screwed Hogan with this referee with the with the the obvious three count or the obvious you know miscount I should say because Hogan's shoulder was up at one. Um, but the whole thing with the payoff and the twin referees, like I remember as a kid being like, Oh my God, like it was like out of a movie, like there's identical twins. They look just alike. And you look at it now, if you go back and watch it now and you can see one Hebner looks a little bit bigger than the other. And one Hebner has got a little bit of a different jawline. And, um, but to the naked eye and to someone who is five years old at the time watching it, you couldn't tell me different. So it's interesting as I'm going through this when I'm talking about my feelings then as to what they are now regarding some of these 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 moments in Hulk Hogan's career uh, because it seems like the magic of what I felt at that young age is kind of exposed as I get older and as I watch and um, as I hear different stories. So uh, hopefully that's not a trend moving forward. But... Um, I thought that the 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 logic and the story now, when you look at it, 
like, okay, DiBiase and Andre, they screw Hogan. All right, they screwed him for the for the title, the twin referee. Wouldn't Jack Tunney want to reverse the decision and give the belt back to Hogan because DiBiase conspired with the referee? And here's the other thing too, okay? The tournament, right? You set up a tournament and you put Hogan and Andre in the tournament to face each other and they get a bye in the first round, right? Now, I can understand why Hogan would get a bye because he got screwed out of the title. Not that... His character at that time wanted a bye in the tournament. I'm sure the Hulk Hogan character would have wanted to wrestle every match in the tournament to get his belt back, but he certainly didn't turn down the bye. But why did Andre get a bye in the tournament? Andre helped conspire to screw Hogan. So why would Andre the Giant deserve a bye in the tournament? And why would Ted DiBiase be allowed entry into the tournament if he paid off a referee to get plastic surgery to look like the referee in the match. I just don't get it. I don't understand. And so there's a logic gap in there for me when I go back and I I, I watch some of this stuff. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that I mentioned it with Dennis on, on that recording last year. Um, how much did the plastic surgery cost, brother? You could find that in the archives. That's a fun one. I'd go check that out. Um, as we approach the anniversary of that, the 36th anniversary coming up of that uh, in the month of February. But, um, yeah, there's that logic. And then also, too, here's another thing that kind of boggles my mind. The next month they did another Saturday night's main event. And the main event, I believe, was Hulk Hogan and Harley Race, which would end up being Harley Race's, I think, one of his last matches in the WWF. He got hurt during this match where he tried to do like a headbutt onto Hogan through a table, but the table didn't break. Um, but guess who the referee was in that match? One of the Hebner boys who conspired to screw Hulk Hogan out of the WWF championship. And guess who was the referee in the main event of that match, of the tournament between Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase at WrestleMania four? Earl Hebner. The logic is just, it, it, now that I look back and think about it, it's just, it, it boggles my mind that they, that they, that they got away with stuff like that. Excuse me. Um, but as a kid, that was where I started to to find a another hero in Randy Savage. The 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 aligning with Hulk Hogan as this the mega powers I thought was really fun and cool. They both wore red and yellow. Randy Savage his 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 robes and his outfits. They, they they jumped out at me. The voice, oh yeah, oh, dig it. Like it, it was he to me was like a miniature version of Hulk Hogan, except he didn't have the the, the you know the the training and the prayers and the vitamins. You know he had Miss Elizabeth and he had the flashy outfits and the voice and he could do a little bit more in the ring than Hulk Hogan with the high flying, the the elbow drop off the top rope. So. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, to me, back then as a kid, and even now, was like a match made in heaven. It was like a dream team. And it's kind of fun to think about it now, what they could have been as a tag team. Like, imagine if the Mega Powers decided that they were going to go for the WWF Tag Team Championship. At that time, they would have been unstoppable, wrestling the likes of Demolition, the Hart Foundation, 
maybe DiBiase and Andre in a, in a one-off, even you know for the tag team titles? What if SummerSlam was a tag team title match? That would have been a lot of fun. Um, but Hogan and Savage, to me, like I have a, I have a, you know, I collect a lot of action figures throughout this podcast journey. I've been continuing my collection, and one of them, as I turn around and take a look at it right now, was the Mattel um, Elite Mega Power set, exclusively from Ringside Collectibles. Now, I had purchased a Miss Elizabeth from her SummerSlam gear with the yellow dress and the 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 that you know decked out like you know the the you know what I mean, Mega Powers colors, etc. So I thought. If Mattel made one of these, they're going to have to do a Mega Power set at some point. And when they announced it, I hit the pre-order button, boom, and I, I, I made sure it was mine. And it sits on my table, on my desk, uh, where, I do, where I do my podcast. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty neat-looking set that I really enjoy. Um, one of, my, one of my, my pride and joys, if I were to ever scale down my action figure collection and I got rid of a lot, that's one set that wouldn't go anywhere. Um, I think they are still up there in terms of the great one of the greatest like super teams of all time. Um, and as a kid, I was heartbroken when they split up. Um I was upset with Randy Savage because Hulk Hogan was still my number one, but there's been those theories out there over the years that that story was really that 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 Randy Savage was really the baby face in that story. Um, now I look at it from two different angles. One, Hogan. He was just a, a a really good friend to her, and he would never do anything to try to steal the Macho Man's girl. But on the other side, I could understand the Randy Savage fans out there that would think, well, Hogan kind of grabbed Miss Elizabeth a little too close, and Hogan dumped Randy Savage out of the Royal Rumble for his own benefit. Why would he? Why, why wouldn't he try to save his mega power brother? Um, so when the breakup took place on that Saturday night's main event, which by the way, special watch along of that coming up in the month of February, you can check that out. We'll have that for you. Um, I look forward to watching and documenting that, that episode of Saturday night's main event from February of 1989, the 35 year anniversary of that will be approaching. So that's going to be a lot of fun as, uh, we watch Hogan and Savage against the team of the big boss man, which eventually leads to the split from the mega powers. Um, that was to me, like, uh, like I said, it was a heartbreaking moment as a kid. I was upset with Randy Savage. I was, I, I obviously leaned more towards in the favor of Hulk Hogan, but I was still a macho man fan. And that was one of those pay-per-views where I begged my, my father, Oh, we got to see this. It's the mega powers. It's Hulk Hogan and the macho man. Like it's, I have to, they're going to explode at WrestleMania. It's going to be for the title. That was one of the ones where my father was justified. You know, I justified it enough that my father said, okay, you can, we can order this one. And I had my grandfather come over and we watched the match. And it was actually in an, on an afternoon. It wasn't even a nighttime pay-per-view. So WrestleMania was like an afternoon pay-per-view on a Sunday uh, that year. But uh, 
because we didn't get a whole lot of pay-per-views in our house. It wasn't one of those situations where we ordered every pay-per-view. Uh, so it was it was worthwhile for my father to, all right, this is a big one. It's his two favorites. They're going to meet. And the match was a good match. I enjoyed it. But it's kind of fun to play what if. And what if Hogan actually, what if Miss Elizabeth helped Hogan win and turned Hogan heel and Savage became the babyface? And Hogan was the heel champion. That would be a little bit more interesting than what we got. Don't get me wrong. I was entertained as hell that Hogan won the match and beat Randy Savage. But looking back on it, those those people in the Macho Man camps that go with the theory that Hulk Hogan was the real heel in that Mega Power storyline... That that would be something. There, there's a lot of, you know, meat to chew on that bone. That that would make for an interesting story, uh, moving forward. Uh, had they gone in that direction, um, trying to think what else we could discuss here. Um, what's interesting about you know, kind of piggybacking off of Savage and Hogan. What's interesting about their split in 1989 was that their love-hate relationship continued all the way till they were together in WCW, which is a testament to how strong and popular their their on-screen associations were with each other, if you think about it. I mean, after the Mega Power split in 89, Savage enlisted in the services of Zeus. They tied in the No Holds Barred movie. Uh, Hogan had Beefcake. They had that phenomenal tag team match at SummerSlam in 89 that year very underrated tag team match very underrated SummerSlam in my opinion uh, that Jersey crowd was on fire for that SummerSlam uh, and that match in particular and then things just evolved Hogan and Savage would go to WCW they kind of had that love-hate relationship there they were friends and then they were enemies and then they were friends again and I think it was because of their on-screen chemistry they worked so well together that you put them anywhere. It didn't matter whether it was the WWF or WCW. You put them anywhere, whether they were you know, aligned with each other or if they were against each other. It worked, and people wanted to see it. Um, so it's just, it's just, to me, it's, 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 it's a testament to their characters, them as performers, and the chemistry that they have, that they were able to carry over that rivalry that started in the WWF and that on-screen association and bring it to WCW and still do big business there as well. I think that's pretty cool and something that, that is very rare in wrestling. Um, because, you know, wrestling, especially with rival organizations, you can't mention the other one's name, um, and you can't mention, you know, the, the character associations from the other show. Um but in their case, they were able to do it in a way where it made sense and people bought into it and people wanted to see it. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. I, I, I definitely uh, dig that. Um, let's transition over to, which I would say is probably like the downturn of this Hulk Hogan run in the WWF in the, the, the late 80s, you know, the 80s and 90s. Um, losing to the Ultimate Warrior. That was a big pill that I had trouble swallowing as a kid because seeing Hulk Hogan lose at a WrestleMania, I was always accustomed to seeing Hulk Hogan get the big win at WrestleMania. 
And I actually wanted to see Hulk Hogan beat the Ultimate Warrior so he could become the Intercontinental Champion. And not because I thought that he'd be a good Intercontinental Champion. I want, and this is this may be silly to some of you that are listening, but I wanted Hulk Hogan to beat the Ultimate Warrior because if you look at the 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 the, the banner, the poster for that WrestleMania. It took place in Canada, Skydome, Toronto, okay? And so you have the WrestleMania logo on one side, you have Hogan. And on the other side, you have the Ultimate Warrior. And there's like the, the the mountains in Canada. And it says the Ultimate Challenge. Champion versus champion, title for title. And the Warrior, you know, he's he looks like a million bucks. Hogan looks like a movie poster there too. And you see the Warrior with the yellow Intercontinental Championship. And I thought, well... Hulk Hogan wears red and yellow. Hulk Hogan with the yellow Intercontinental Championship would look cool. Now that I think about it, it's a silly it's a silly reason for me to want to see Hulk Hogan win the Intercontinental title, but at that time, that was my train of thought at seven years old, that I wanted to see Hulk Hogan become the Intercontinental Champion because the yellow-strapped Intercontinental title would look good on him. That's a, it, now that I think about it, I could... It, it's silly to even imagine, but um, that was a hard pill for me to swallow. I didn't really care for Warrior. He was colorful. He was popular, but um, it's a fantastic match. It's one of the matches that I watch every year going, you know, WrestleMania, um, you know, my WrestleMania marathons. It's definitely, uh, it's 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 on a short list of the, the Warriors' greatest matches, and there's maybe about two or three of them, and they involve Hogan and Randy Savage. Go figure. So, uh, that was a little difficult for me to watch. Was what was even more difficult for me as a kid to watch as a Hulk Hogan fan was seeing Earthquake destroy Hulk Hogan on the Brother Love show. That was the first time I really thought that we were going to see the end of Hulk Hogan, where I had this thought in my mind that Hulk Hogan was never going to come back to wrestling. Um, Earthquake and Jimmy Hart uh, orchestrate this attack on Hogan on the Brother Love show, and they put Hogan out. They stretcher him out. They do weeks of updates on his progress and if he's going to come back. And there's doubt that he could come back. And Tugboat was kind of like the, the the conduit between, you know, Hogan and the fans and the WWF and providing updates. And he used to do those letters. And I wrote a letter. And the fat piece of shit never fucking responded to my letter. But I got a friendship bracelet instead and a catalog, which actually is kind of neat that they used the the that, that Hulk Hogan Get Well campaign to – to start um, a catalog so that they used to send out merchandise catalogs to, to, to the fans, similar to the JCPenney and the Sears catalogs that you used to get in the mail. For those of you out there that are old enough to remember that, some of you youngsters are like, huh, what? Catalogs? Like, just go online, go on Amazon. No, you actually had to, like, if you wanted clothes, if you didn't go to the store or if they didn't have it in the store, um, you would order it through the catalog. J.C. Penney, Sears, Service Merchandise, Macy's. They had catalogs. You'd get magazine, these big, thick catalog magazines in the mail. Well, WWF did that with their merchandise, but they started it through this angle with Hulk Hogan where Earthquake took him out and you wrote these letters, these, these get well Hulk Hogan letters. So, like I said, I, re- I, re- I wrote one. This fat bastard never read it on the air, um, but I got a bracelet out of it. So, thanks a lot, Tugboat. Appreciate that. That's why you fell through a fucking wall as the Shockmaster. Fucking bastard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, that was the first time as a, as a fan of Hulk Hogan and as a wrestling fan that I had serious doubt that he wasn't coming back. So much so that 
I remember my grandfather took me to the Hartford Civic Center to see the, it was the Get Well Hulk Hogan tour. And on this card, the main event was Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Tugboat against Earthquake and Dino Bravo. Earthquake being one of the guys that took out Hulk Hogan. And I remember getting this big poster board and I had these colored pencils and I drew like cartoon pictures of Hulk. And I drew this cartoon picture of Hulk with Tugboat. And it said, get well, Hulk. And then I like drew different cartoons of like different wrestlers. And then to me, I thought it was, I, I thought I was a fucking artist. I thought I was goddamn Picasso with these cartoons that I drew. But my artistic ability ended after that day. Um, because I can't, I, I don't have, I have no artistic ability whatsoever when it comes to drawing and painting or anything like that. Um, the best thing I've ever done since then when it comes to drawing and painting was a paint night with my wife years ago, uh, which everyone's a fucking Michelangelo after you leave one of those events. But the, the I had this poster board, and I remember, like I said, I was so hyped because it was, I thought that, like, you know, you go there, you support, you know, Earthquake and Dino Bravo, you know, get what's coming to him from Hacksaw and Tugboat, and maybe we'll see Hulk Hogan come back. And Hogan didn't come back that show. But I remember the end of the night, uh, Tugboat and Duggan, they won the match. They beat Earthquake and Dino Bravo. I think they fucking did a post-match thing where they beat up Jimmy Hart, and Duggan tossed Jimmy Hart out over the top rope, and Earthquake caught him as they were, you know, leaving the ringside area. And I remember Duggan and Tugboat turned around and, my grandfather was like, hold up your sign, hold up your sign. And I held up my sign and said, get well, Hulk. Get well soon, Hulk, or something like that. And I remember Duggan looked at the sign, looked directly at me, gave me the thumbs up, and then he he got Tugboat's attention, and Tugboat did the same thing and gave me a thumbs up and pointed to the sign. Now, I was hoping that that sign would have made it in the ring, similar to when Hogan took the sign at the Royal Rumble after he won the Royal Rumble that said, you know, Hulkamania will live forever. I thought that that's what we, we would get. Um, but it didn't come to be. But it's a it's a fond memory I have, not only of just spending time with my grandfather, who took me to a lot of these wrestling events, but um, that moment right there, that was like my first interaction that I was at like a wrestling show, and the the, the performer in the ring took a, took a liking or brought their attention to me, meaning Hacksaw and Tugboat. Um, so... Yeah, that was the first time that, like I said, there was there was genuine concern as a youngster that Hulk Hogan was never coming back, and then he then he's announced to to return against Earthquake at SummerSlam '90, and that was one of those shows where I begged and begged and begged and begged and begged my parents to get that show. It was the double main event: Hogan and Earthquake, and one. And Warrior and Rick Rude on the other inside of Steel Cage, um, Demolition and the Heart Foundation, two out of three falls. Uh, Jake the Snake and Bad News Brown, I remember. Uh, Rockers and Power and Glory. Dennis, Justin, and myself did a watch along of that a couple of years ago, about four years ago during COVID. That's a lot of fun. You can go check that out in the archives. We had a lot of fun watching that SummerSlam, uh, one of my favorite recordings. Um, but. I remember being so hyped that Hogan was returning and he was originally going to have Tugboat in his corner. And Tugboat was attacked 
by Earthquake on like a Superstars or something. And at the last minute, they threw the big boss man in. And the big boss man had just become a good guy. And so I was a little skeptical of the big boss man being in his corner because of the history that Hogan and the boss man had a year prior when Hogan and boss man were feuding on opposing teams with the Mega Powers and the Twin Towers. And so I was I, I was a little skeptical as a kid, but his eventually I warmed up to Boss Man as a youngster because he helped Hulk, and Hulk was my guy. And on a side note, let me just say that those Hogan Boss Man, the Hogan Boss Man rivalry, I think, in my opinion, is a very looking back on it now. It's a very underrated rivalry in, in between the one of Hogan's more underrated rivalries. The two had excellent matches. I remember seeing a steel cage match from Madison Square Garden on like the best of Hulkamania four uh, videotape that I rented at Blockbuster when Hogan does this superplex off the top of the steel cage. Unbelievable stuff. Um, if you ever find the opportunity, go on Google and check out Hulk Hogan, Big Boss Man, that steel cage match at Madison Square Garden, or any of the matches they had because just some really fun stuff. The angle when Boss Man cuffed Hogan to the guardrail on the Brother Love Show and practically Rodney Kingdom before there was a Rodney King um, with the nightstick. Oh, my God. Heavy, heavy stuff. I think Bruce Pritchard once said on something to wrestle that they had to retape that because it was too violent. Um, that the television networks were not um, pleased with, with with how that came out. So they had to retape that. But, um, yeah, SummerSlam 90, uh, a fond memory for me because it restored my fandom in Hulk Hogan. Not that I lost it, but because I was so concerned he was never coming back. They did such a great job at leaving that doubt out there in the universe as a fan um, when it came to Hulk's injury stemming from the attack by Earthquake. So uh, I, I remember that fondly, and I'll, I'll I usually if I do a SummerSlam marathon, that's another one where I'll watch that show because that show's a lot of fun. Um, what reminds what, what what reminds me of that show and everything surrounding that with that angle more than anything was, um, you know, it was the '90s. It was the first year of the '90s, 1990, and the '90s were all about like new and hip and fresh and exciting colors and you saw a lot of neon and so there was a lot like the the, the merchandise catalog was kind of catered to what the, the fashion trends were in the 90s so um it's just a fond memory i have that i i kind of tie and associate with that summer slam and with the hulk hogan angle and it's ironic that like i said years later i'd find out that the merchandise catalog was set up based off of that angle which is kind of a neat business strategy um now, I talked about it earlier. I'll, I'll mention it as well. My grandfather, like I said, he used to take me to the Civic Center shows. And I remember, uh, and Dennis has talked about it too on this podcast. Um, I remember going to an afternoon matinee show in 91. I think it was like March of 91, right before Hogan uh, beat Sergeant Slaughter for the title. Um, Hulk Hogan wrestled Earthquake in a stretcher match. And I remember one spot in particular where Hogan used a chair and nailed Earthquake in the back. And Earthquake had these like um, these bruising and these like they almost were like large, like bloody stretch marks on his back. It was and it was and it was from like a couple of chair shots. Nothing. 
like two chair shots and it like instantly he, he, he marked up and bled. Um, and I remember that significant, um, moment in the match. And then eventually Hogan put him on the stretcher and wheeled him off. I think he wheeled, did he wheel him off or he pinned him. And then I think he put him on the stretcher. So the object was you had to pin him and then you put him on the stretcher. I don't think it was, um, the stretcher matches that you see now where you have to have the guy cross the, the finish line or whatever, put him in the ambulance or anything like that. Uh, but Dennis, it's funny, I had this conversation with Dennis, and Dennis rem- distinctly remembered that too. Um, I had a couple of friends that I grew up with that went to that show as well, and they said the same thing. Were you at that show when Hogan hit Earthquake with the chair and he bled? And I was like, yeah, me too. Uh, so um, another fond memory I have. And then later that year, I remember my grandfather taking me to see Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter uh, for the WWF title in a boot camp match. And Slaughter did the fireball spot where he threw the fireball in Hogan's eyes and the match ended. It was a disqualification, uh, which was weird because it was advertised as a boot camp match. Um, and that was the last wrestling show I ever went to with my grandfather, uh, now that I look back on it. Um, so always some fun memories growing up, uh, going to see Hogan live, um, Always, I'll always cherish those memories, not just because of the you know, of seeing Hulk Hogan in person, but also spending time with my grandfather and the things that you know he used to do for me that helped uh, facilitate my wrestling fandom. And I actually went into the length uh, with that discussion, with that subject, excuse me, on an episode where I dedicated it to my grandparents and growing up being a wrestling fan a couple of years ago. Um, not to give me too many cheap plugs on prior shows in the archives because I've talked about some of these subjects, but for more context, you can check out that in the archives as well. Uh, let's move on here. Um, towards the tail end of his WWF run here, um, you started to see a trend where Hogan was facing insurmountable odds and he was more vulnerable but he wasn't always coming out on the winning end and that was the case with Undertaker Um, Undertaker was unlike anything that I had ever seen and when Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan at Survivor Series that was looking back on it now I had this this uneasy feeling as a fan watching it but looking back on it now you could probably say that that was the beginning of the end of his time in the WWF that things were starting to change and it wasn't the Hulk Hogan show anymore and so when Hogan lost to Undertaker at Survivor Series and won the title back um I was I I wasn't thrilled that he lost the title but at the same time when he won it I wasn't even that thrilled with it either uh Rick Flair getting involved in both instances at the Survivor Series and then the Tuesday in Texas, uh, which led to the 92 Royal Rumble, which Flair would win. But um, the big thing that comes out of all that was my disappointment in the dream match between Hogan and Flair not happening at WrestleMania. Okay, I was one of those wrestling fans growing up as a kid where I didn't just get the WWF magazine. I bought the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I bought the, 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 the After Mags. I bought all those magazines. And you used to see a lot of those covers where it was the dream match, WWF champion versus the NWA champion or the WCW champion, Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. And so when Ric Flair 
came to the WWF with the big gold belt, the NWA world title in 1991, I felt like I was the coolest kid in the lunchroom because amongst the small circle of wrestling fans I had, nobody knew who Ric Flair was except for me. So everyone was like, who's this Ric Flair guy? And then I would bring in the magazines that I had. Like, oh, this is Ric Flair. He used to be the leader of the Four Horsemen. He was the world champion. He beat Sting. He beat Dusty Rhodes. Uh, you know, he used to be tag team with Arn Anderson. Like, I, I, so I felt like I was giving my, my friends the big scoop. Like, I had the inside, you know, scoop on what was going on with Flair um, and his involvement uh, with Hogan. Um, and, even at that age, at nine years old, I was it was it was natural for me to think, well, these two are going to wrestle at WrestleMania. It's going to determine who the real world champion is. And when Flair won the title at the Royal Rumble, it was easy to think that well, Hogan's going to be the naturally be the one to face him. And when they shifted and went a different direction with Sid, I was not thrilled with it at all. I was actually very disappointed in it. I didn't even want to see Randy Savage and Ric Flair for the title as much of a Randy Savage fan as I was because I thought Savage still had unfinished business with Jake the Snake. I've said it a lot, and I'll say it again on this podcast, but I think WrestleMania 8 would have looked much differently had they done Hogan and Flair at the top. I mean, Hogan and Flair at the top for the title. You know, the the the, the dream match that everybody been talking about. You have Jake the Snake and Randy Savage in some kind of blow-off grudge match. Because I thought their blow-off at Saturday night's main event was lame. You know, Savage, he slaps Miss Elizabeth on this Tuesday in Texas, and then they have a, a regular match, you know, uh, on, on Saturday night's main event. That was that rivalry was fitting for, a, like, a cage match to blow it off. You put Undertaker against Sid. Sid was getting popular. Um Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. That WrestleMania could have been an all-time great if they put Hogan and Savage up top. It's still a fun WrestleMania. I go back and watch it during WrestleMania season, and it's still fun. But it would have been an all-time. It, I I think personally, it would still it would hold up today as like a top ten WrestleMania of all time. Had they done Hogan and Flair? Um, now I don't know. What the true answer is, a lot of people have said it was politics. A lot of people said it was Hogan leaving. A lot of people said it was Hogan's differences with Vince, um, and and they didn't want to drop. They didn't want Hogan to drop the title if he was going to be gone for five months. Some people have said the steroid trial had something to do with it. I don't know, but it was unfortunate that it didn't happen at a, at WrestleMania that year, um, and to make matters even worse, not only did they not give me and all the other wrestling fans the match that everybody wanted to see, but then they advertised Hulk Hogan versus Sid in what could be his last match ever in the WWF. So that was another one where I begged my father to order the pay-per-view, and because it was could have been Hulk Hogan's last match, he obviously knew how important Hulk Hogan was to me as a kid, so we ordered WrestleMania 8, and as... Memorable as it is with the end with Warrior coming out, making the big return and saving Hogan from Sid and Papa Shango. Um, it's still, it, it's it's not as good as it would it could have been with Hogan and Flair. Um, and, you know, not seeing Hulk Hogan on my TV on WWF programming for, you know, the better part of almost a year, you know, eight months or so, 
was an adjustment as a fan. I was still a big Randy Savage guy. Uh, I was getting into Bret Hart a little bit. Um, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Flair was still on TV. Um, so I was still into the programming, but it just wasn't the same without Hulk Hogan. And I think that's what kind of drove me to watching WCW Saturday night at that time in 92. Um, not because, it'd be, well, mainly because Hulk Hogan wasn't on WWF and they were still, you know, WCW was putting out some pretty solid programming with the Dangerous Alliance and Sting, and you would see Jake the Snake eventually, um, the Steiner brothers, uh, Ricky Steamboat, you know, those guys putting on some pretty fun matches um, with that sports-based uh, product with the rankings that Bill Watts put out, but that's another discussion for another day, going off on a tangent here. Um so when Hogan returned in 93 for WrestleMania 9 and Flair was on his way out the door back to WCW, which I wasn't aware of until I read it in a magazine. I didn't see Monday Night Raw. I wasn't allowed to stay up late to watch wrestling on a school night. So my, my wrestling fix was on the weekends. Um, so when Hogan returned, it was a shock to me, but I was like, oh, yes, all's right in the world. Hulk Hogan's back in the WWF. And... To see him in the tag team title picture, I wasn't, I, I as a fan, I don't remember hating it. I don't remember being like, oh, they're going to put him and Beefcake together as a team? Like, he should be fighting for the title. I was not against it whatsoever. I thought it was kind of interesting and kind of neat, and I think it, you know, people shit all over that WrestleMania, okay? They shit all over it because of that finish, and I'll talk about that in a minute, okay? But... Hogan fighting for the tag team championship at WrestleMania and they build it as a double main event. I think that's a good advertising strategy and a good hook to get people to watch. Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. You know, Hulk Hogan's return to the WWF to team with Brutus the Barber Beefcake, his best friend, and challenge Money Incorporated for the WWF tag team titles. I didn't hate it. I thought it was kind of neat. And... I've said this before, um, and, it, and it bears repeating, that um, the the outdoor setup and the theme for WrestleMania 9 I thought was kind of neat with the Caesars Palace, and they were outdoors in Vegas, and um, cosmetically it had this cool look to it. But, you know, bell to bell, that show is nothing special. Um, and... If it were done in a regular arena and they didn't have the the Caesars Palace theme behind it, I think the show would be rated even worse. Um, I think people would look at it even worse. Now, when it comes to that show, um, Hogan and Beefcake didn't win the titles, obviously, but Hogan makes that surprise appearance at the end of the the, the main event and challenges Yokozuna, or no, he he gets challenged by Yokozuna. To, put, to, to face him for the title after Yoko cheated to beat Bret Hart and Hulk walks away with the win. Now, I didn't know that Hogan had won the title until the next day I'm at the bus stop and my friend at the bus stop who was a wrestling fan, Jamel, or Jamal, I think it was Jamel. Anyways, he got the pay-per-view and I think he taped it and he said, you're never going to guess what happened. And I said, what? And he goes, 
Hulk Hogan won the WWF title. I was like, the tag team titles? He goes, no. Hulk Hogan beat Yokozuna. I said, wait a minute, Yokozuna beat Bret Hart? And he said, yeah, Mr. Fuji threw the salt in Bret's eyes when Bret had Yoko in the sharpshooter. And then Yoko pinned him and won. And then Hulk came out to dispute, you know, to, to argue with the referee. Fuji challenged Hulk. Hulk came in, bing, bang, boom. Hogan must pose. Now, that was enough for me to be like, begging my parents to 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 order the replay and i remember that evening's monday night raw i didn't get a chance to watch all of it but i watched the first few minutes of it i said to my dad can i watch wrestling just for a few minutes i heard hulk hogan won the bell at wrestlemania last night i want to see I want to see the the first few minutes of wrestling and see if they show any video or pictures. And they showed still shots and said, you know, to advertise the replay of the of the pay per view taking place. And I begged my parents to order the pay per view, the replay, and they said no. And so, you know, typical. Usually, I heard a lot of no, maybe we'll think about it. Very little yes. That was one of those cases where I heard a lot of no. Um, so, as a ten year old kid. I was the, the 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 idea of Hogan as a surprise challenger for the title and ending that WrestleMania with him as the champion it appealed to that surprise factor was appealing to me. I'm like, "Oh my god, I should have ordered this show. Hulk Hogan wasn't even scheduled to face the WWF champion and he won the belt." Like that's what that's that's something that, you know, was that was appealing to me as a fan and I could and I think that's the intention of what they were going for now the the, the smart marks and the Hogan haters out there that are in similar of age to me can sit here and say oh it was a terrible booking decision and it was a terrible finish and all this other stuff and I'm sorry but I don't think any of you were smartened up to the wrestling business at that time when it happened. Um, you may not have liked it because you might have been Bret Hart fans. That's fine. But for you to sit there and say that it was a terrible decision and a terrible idea, um, I think because of what came of it afterwards, it's not a great. it wasn't a great decision. I was expecting and hoping for Hogan and Bret at SummerSlam after that. Brett was the one that told Hogan to go for it. And in the weeks to follow on Monday Night Raw, Brett had expressed interest in wanting to face the WWF champion, whether it was Yokozuna or Hulk Hogan, and even kind of calling Hogan out, making some remarks about Hogan. So I kind of thought that that's the direction they were going in, and I was very disappointed. Um, even so much so that um, when they announced Hulk Hogan and Yokozuna for King of the Ring, I wasn't really I wasn't really jumping for joy with it. And when they announced that Brett was in the King of the Ring and Brett, you know, got a, a spot in the tournament because of what took place at WrestleMania nine, even at ten years old, I thought to myself, like, I don't think this is gonna happen. I was hoping for it to happen, but I didn't think that Hogan and Brett was gonna happen at that point. And it didn't. And um that's it. And here's another cheap plug. What if go in the archives, uh, 
as Kobe Knight and I discuss the what-ifs behind Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart for SummerSlam of that year, 1993, for the WWF Championship. That We had a lot of fun. That's probably one of our most downloaded episodes. You could check that out. Go find it um, because I, I, I think it was a huge missed opportunity, huge missed opportunity. Um, and to see... To see Hogan lose the way he did to Yokozuna as a kid, I wasn't thrilled with it. Mainly because I think I wanted to see Hogan and Brett, and I was I was kind of a Brett fan at that time. I was warming up to the idea of Brett being the guy. So to see him face Hulk Hogan, these two different polar opposites, um, at that time in 1993, I think it would have been a much more interesting and intriguing matchup than than Hogan and Yoko. Now everyone says that, um, and and the people that support Brett have said that Bret Hart was promised a match with Hogan by Vince and by and Hulk himself. Um, Hulk has said that that was not the case. Others around Hulk have said that wasn't the case. I don't care what you know people say. I'm not going to get into the the uh, semantics of he said she said, but. It's a situation where um, it was a huge missed opportunity. As a fan, I was really disappointed, really disappointed that Hulk Hogan's run in the WWF ended the way that it did with the the fireball angle with Yokozuna, and he pretty much was like put out to pasture. Now, it helped Yokozuna, and it made Yokozuna this unstoppable force, so... In theory, it was the right call because it was meant to elevate Yokozuna to another level, but I thought that Yokozuna was such an impressive figure um, and he seemed like a credible threat and opponent um, in the WWF that he didn't need that elevation that I thought maybe Brett could have used it because of the circumstances surrounding the finish at WrestleMania 9. So... In theory, Hogan winning and at WrestleMania 9 and setting up him and Brett for Brett to beat him and Hogan passing the torch would have been the better option than Hogan and Yoko, in my opinion. Um, and that's kind of where we're going to pause this this Hulk, this diary of a Hulkamaniac discussion here on Kicking Out at Two. On our next episode, we're going to discuss the, the Hulk Hogan's run in WCW and how that came about, and my thoughts on that, as well as the 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 significant um, or the, I'm sorry the the infamous heel turn at Bash at the Beach 96 and the NWO morphing into Hollywood Hogan. The finger poke of doom we'll, we'll, we'll briefly discuss, even though it's been discussed at nauseum in other episodes, as well as Hogan's return to the WWE in, in, during the ruthless aggression era, his time in TNA, and everything else that has led up to this 40th anniversary of Hulkamania here for all. Continuing this discussion, this diary, if you will, of my thoughts, uh, and, and feelings as a Hulkamaniac at 41 years old uh, and, and feelings as a Hulkamaniac at 41 years old as we celebrate the anniversary, the 40th anniversary, the birth 
of Hulkamania here on Kicking Out at Two. And I think it's about that time that we officially put this one down for the three count, brother. Dropping the big leg on you, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>